Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz-Gund. Today, I have another guest, um, uh, Alex, uh, he, him, um, from also, um, you have a page, Alex, you have a page on Instagram called World is a House on Fire, um, so, um, Yes, I'm going to ask Alex a few questions about uh, neurodiversity. We're going to have a little conversation um, about um, neurodistinctness in general. Um, so the first question I wanted to ask you, Alex, is how soon in life did you suspect being neurodistinct? So yeah, um, everyone around me had so long ideas about what autism or ADHD was like, for me, it was just things that I never suspected to do with interstitial autism. Yeah, for me too, I feel like, um, I mean, even though I didn't get diagnosed until, or I didn't really discover, you know, I didn't really associate, um, that I was autistic until I was 16. Um, I hadn't even, you know, I could have made that association before, um, but I didn't because of the stereotypes and because we're not conditioned to think um, of autism and ADHD um, and other neurotypes in the way that we, the way that we do now. Um, so, um, I can definitely relate to, to that. Um, and, uh, my next question, which is kind of related to, to the same kind of thing, um, how did your neurodistinctness affect you early on? Probably, uh, I, I, I taught myself to read really, really early in life and to write as well. And once I did that, I pretty much just stopped talking <laughs> um, and lost myself in the written word, like voracious reader and writer. But I think on some level, I just knew this was the way that I needed to communicate. Um, but it was frustrating because I didn't really have people in my life who could communicate in that way. So it was just mainly using almost kind of like having a written narrator of my own life to try to understand everything as it's happening. I see. Yeah. I, I found that from a young age, 
I was also very into writing. Um, you know, I, I could talk to others, but I didn't, I always found that it was the easiest form of communication for me has been writing. Um, like writing emails, um, or text messages even, but I think emails is probably like my, my favorite because I feel like I can lay out exactly everything I want to say, exactly everything I mean, um, and it's clear and precise, and I don't have to deal with, um, people trying to read my facial expressions and associate them to some kind of feeling that they think I'm feeling. And it's just because it becomes this whole mess, which I think is one of the most common forms of miscommunication with autistics and neurotypicals, is the neurotypical person is always trying to interpret your body language. Um, instead of what you're actually saying, what you're actually telling them. So to me, at least, it feels like if I'm trying to have a conversation with them, uh, it's a lot, or trying to get a point across to them in a specific, clear way, the way I mean it, it's a lot easier for me to do that by email, because if I try to do, I, I, I can't, I feel like I, I shouldn't even, sometimes like I shouldn't even bother trying to say them, trying to tell them something in person, um, because it's just, just everything I say, like that I meticulously carefully plan to tell them, uh, it, it gets thrown out because all they're going to pay attention is the body expressions. Yeah. It, it reminds me of something from an Eddie Izzard, um, special from years ago where um she said did she say that 70 percent of what people pay attention to is how you look and 20 percent is how you sound and only 10 percent is what you actually say and then goes on to sort of hilariously demonstrate that by performing the american national anthem but the words are all just yeah like that was very effective but at the same it's funny but at the same time like oh it's so true isn't it it's so true it makes sense like it's how we're conditioned to 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 think to like read people like even even like even like myself as a neurodistinct person before I started understanding more about neurodistinct forms of communication and how they're better for me, like I like them much better. Um, I used to like, I used to think that that was the way to um, interpret people was to, to like how they're acting instead of what they're saying. And so I'm really glad that I, I know that it's not always like that now. And I, and I can spread that um, information to others as well. Like my neurotypical family members and friends can learn that, which is great. Um, yeah. I remember it, it absolutely blew my mind the first time I read about the double empathy problem. Yes. Oh, 
such a liberating thing to read where it's like, okay, so I'm only responsible for my part of it. Yeah. But, yeah. Because it's, yeah, and it's like we're told our whole lives that we're, that we're responsible for both parts, that we're, like, disordered or, you know, that our communication is disordered. Um, and... Yeah, no, it was such a revelation for me, too. The double empathy theory, for sure. Like, I even did an episode on it um, because it's so important. It's such a core part of what uh, neurodiversity, the neurodiversity movement is and everything uh, and advocates for. Um, so, yeah. I like how you put that, that it's like a core part. I feel like there's sort of these sort of pillars of understanding that once I got them in place, I was able to build on that. Yeah. Um, and I love that those are the sort of things that uh, in the online, actually autistic adult com- uh, community, people are always writing, finding new ways to package up the information about double empathy so that even if neurotypicals aren't necessarily following those accounts i now have like an array of different ways to communicate the double empathy problem to people yeah that's good for sure like finding these different ways to explain it in a really simple quick way that they'll understand because like i started realizing also like when i started producing all this content online you know it started with my page and and then you know with my blog and my podcast and i started realizing okay this is like it's great like these are great platforms to express these things but it's also good to have like summaries of this in my head um of how to explain this on the go Um, because then I can easily explain it to people because not everyone is going to be able to like listen to all my episodes and everything. Um, so I don't know. That's been, that's been really helpful too, but I think it's like also the exercise of doing these episodes and then like, I, cause I feel myself having more ease to explain things just in general, just because I've done these episodes, like, because, like, when I started, because it's crazy, this is the 32nd episode that we're recording now, and when I started, when I was doing, like, the first one, the first few ones, even, um, like, the earlier ones, I go to listen to them again, and it's, like, I can tell that I was a lot more new to it, like, it wasn't, bad in any way but it was just like I was still growing into it and explaining things and you know the way I explain and everything and I structure so I don't know just noticing that's been really cool as well um I wanted to ask you a little bit about your page on Instagram about um when you started it how the idea came and and all that yeah um well, it was when I finally um, uh, like got the message, like it, it finally <laughs> sank in that it's not just ADHD, it's um, that I was autistic as well. Uh, 
and that kind of turned my entire life on its ear. And this was during the pandemic um, lockdown. So August 31st, 2020 was when I kind of had that revelation. It took a while after that to get a diagnosis. Um, and that's a whole other story, but, um, <clears throat> then, um, the whole world was kind of turned upside down yeah. and I kept hearing people use the metaphor of like, it's like a house on fire. And it reminded me of, uh, one special interest that I had was abandoned buildings. Ever mm. since I was a kid, I felt this weird kinship with places that were abandoned. And I think it was like a metaphor for how I felt. <laughs> yeah like, you know I, I was born to a not very supportive family and I feel like they just kind of left me in neglect and so I would feel just this poignant sadness and for a while there I would just go off to find these buildings this was before I even knew what Urban X was and take pictures of them um, and I found this building like way out in the boonies in the middle of nowhere um, in the country in the deep south and I took, I was taking pictures of this burned out house. And I went around behind the house and someone had spray painted in the back, like in this overgrown weedy place, far away from any other buildings, these words, we do this work because the world is a house on fire and the people we love are burning. And yeah. I was so just stunned by it because it wasn't, it, it wasn't like it was, pointed out at the street or anything that anyone approaching the building would see. It was like hidden message in the back for somebody who was just kind of lost in the weeds. I, I don't know why someone would put it there. And it took me a long time, actually, until 2021, I found out that those words are by the poet Sandra Cisneros, I think is how that's oh, pronounced. Um, but I hung on to that picture of the back of the building for so long. And then I had to escape domestic violence during the pandemic too. Like everything escalated to a head on October 1st. And I realized like I couldn't, I, I tried to access services and couldn't get any relief there. Everything was falling apart October, 2020. And then my friends, or the friends that I thought I had for years, um, weren't there for me either. Although, to be fair, since I had just realized, like, oh, I'm autistic, and I always was, I didn't really know who I was either. So I had to pick up, pack up, and kind of start my life over, and on my own, mostly. And I needed some sort of an anchor, something, some practice that I was doing, but I was driving an awful lot just to get, put the, put that place behind me and try to find somewhere else to live with no idea where I was going to do that or with whom. Um, so I, I just, I wasn't able to sit down and write for hours on end. So I was just recording a podcast to myself. Um, but eventually I, I stopped that podcast because I, I got kind of worn out. Um, but along with it, I had 
I just started in Instagram because I was taking pictures. I was traveling after years of being stuck in domestic violence and in the same place. My world was shrinking and getting smaller. And finally, I was like, well, I, I can't survive here anymore. Um, dodged the literal bullet. And I thought, if I'm going to die of this pandemic or something else, or just because I can't find a place to live, there are things that I want to see before I go. I, I took my life savings to save my life. And so I took pictures of where I lived and talked about things that I would ordinarily, I guess, want to talk to a friend about, but I didn't have any friends at that point and trying to figure out who I was. It's kind of like a way of talking to myself um, on the internet. Wow. I mean, that's, that's quite a journey. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's quite a journey. And, um, yeah, I think it is, you know, I can really relate to the part about self-discovery and really acknowledging who you are and accepting who you are. And, um, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of having, you know, most of my family be more accepting, but I've still encountered a lot of people in life that aren't accepting um and not just that but like having that perpetuate the idea um that that you're not like that you're broken or you know disordered um and that you're doing the things things wrong and then it wasn't until I came in, in, in contact with the whole neurodiversity paradigm and particularly the double empathy theory. Um, and then, you know, like you said, had going on this, this journey of like self discovery and then leading to more self acceptance and, you know, just doing things my way doing, you know, doing my page, doing my blog, doing my podcast, but doing everything my way um, and not someone else's way. So, like, that's been really great for me. Um, and I can see that, uh, you know, you've been able to find that through your page as well, which is really great. Um, yeah, I wanted to... Um, ask you also how did coming out as lgbt compare to coming out as neurodistinct um i i kind of i feel like i kind of did both around the same time i've been kind of flirting with um gender expression at least um even if i wasn't identifying as a different gender using different pronouns um but i feel like I was kind of having to hide that too, just increasingly watching what I said and did with the living situation that I was in. Like none of it was safe. But then I feel like liberating myself from that. I was like, you know what? I don't have to. I realized like as I could now come out as autistic, I could also come out as transgender male and nobody was going to stop me. Yeah. Um, so I kind of did it all at once. So, so it was hard to compare because I was navigating being out as both. 
Um, at first, it was just, here's the whole package. I'm a transgender dude, and I'm autistic. Um, but then, as I went on with that for a couple years and trying to build a new life, I quickly found out that, um, A, some people are more accepting of one than the other, and two, it was going to most likely be the autism thing that was going to be a problem um, in terms of just getting taken seriously, but the transgender thing would be the, the one that would put me in the most physical peril, that like if people didn't accept that I was transgender, they were much more likely to actually get physically violent with me, whereas with the me coming out as autistic, people were just more likely to get really passive aggressive and infantilize me. So. Yeah. Either they don't believe you. It's really unfortunate because it's like, even they either they don't believe you because they have stigmatized preconceptions of what autism is supposed to look like, and you don't match that to them, um, or they infantilize you or start treating you differently, or don't take you seriously. Um, so it's really unfortunate because I've definitely experienced uh, quite a bit of, of that as well. Um, and uh, so I just have a couple, couple more questions to close off. Um, what has been, I know you've touched a little bit on this probably already, but what would you say has been the single most challenging part of this journey for you of, as a neurodistinct individual? Um, finding safe, accommodate, safe enough and accommodating housing or place to stay um, is unfortunately just the way, I'm on full disability, social security disability, but it's not a lot of money and the way the world is set up, it's kind of almost set up to force people to cohabitate. Uh, and I realized like why that's never really worked for me. Um, but thanks to capitalism, that's the hardest yeah, thing. And it's also the hardest thing to get it across to people that and I've been playing around with thinking of, of dialing it back to telling people that I'm an introvert and I need sufficient alone time to recharge because at least yeah. some people are a little bit more accepting of that. But even still, just telling people, like, can you just just chill and, and leave me alone for a bit? Um, one thing that um, another autistic uh, that I know that um, mentioned was... I think, I think this was when I got COVID-19 and I started getting migraines for the first time in my life. But when I would tell people that I had a migraine, they would leave me alone in a dark room for as long as I needed, very quiet, to lie down. I'm like, this is exactly what I need when I'm in social overload. And, and she said, yeah, you know, I and some other uh, autistic people sometimes will say that like a migraine as code if the person is not going to be likely to understand social overload to just say i have a migraine because then they don't ask questions yeah that's very interesting i never yeah. i don't think i really thought about that before but yeah it's like if you yeah. say it if you say like certain things that neurotypicals mm -hmm. are more familiar with 
it yeah. maybe it's a way of them understanding it since they won't understand what sensory overload is yeah. they they may not they might react in a similar way to if you say you have a migraine so that's very interesting yeah thank you for that yeah. tip yeah yeah i felt like like i didn't want to, as long as I wasn't having migraines, I didn't want to claim to have migraines, even though sometimes I'm like, it just, just being around people right now physically yeah. hurts my skin. Every noise just makes me want to scream. Um, but once I finally had migraines, I'm like, oh, this kind of, the pain of the migraine and the activation, the triggers of it, it feels very similar to the psychological and social pain of autistic yeah, absolutely. So, like, then, now that I've actually experienced it, I don't feel like I'm um, appropriating a term that I don't have the right to. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, because it is, uh, it is all related, you know, the, the areas... Yeah. Of, of the brain that are triggered by uh, migraine pain yeah. are the same general areas from sensory overload. So, yeah, definitely. Just, yeah. Yep. Anything that'll get those accommodations that I need, um, the rest that I need, the like a healthier environment that I need with as little effort on my part as possible, I'm down with it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, what has been, uh, just the final question that I have, uh, what has been the most gratifying part of this journey for you? Um, meeting other people who share things about me that I've hidden from everyone including me and felt ashamed about like sort of my rich inner life and all these things that I thought I had to hide that for no real reason that I was deeply deeply ashamed of and then finally the more I interact with um autistic social media like by us and for us autistic adult communities on Instagram, meeting people who sometimes it's like, wow, I've always felt like I was the only person from my planet, but then we're talking about things and we have this innate understanding of an experience that has been like a deeply held secret for 42 years of life. That's been the most gratifying thing is no longer um, feeling so alone with that and feeling like I have to feel ashamed and hide these things. Sometimes I'll share things and they're like, yeah, I don't identify with that at all because it's, it's a spectrum. But just knowing that it's possible to sort of curiously share an experience and possibly feel validated and liberated when I meet somebody else who's like, oh, man, me too. <laughs> it's yeah. not just a movie. It is an amazing feeling. Uh, I was, yeah, like for me, that's been probably one of the most gratifying gratifying parts of my journey as well has been discovering the actually autistic community um, and just being able to see how many people out there that I can relate to like there's this whole other sphere like that I was really not that aware of like growing up like I just catch myself thinking a lot of times like what if I had had access 
to this community like when I was growing up like just thinking like how different things would have been um because it just really shifted my whole my whole like thinking like even compared to just a couple years ago like it's I, I just feel so different now so liberated in terms of being able to recognize like my strengths and struggles and when I need support and like we were talking about earlier like being able to ask for support and being able to you know say what I need and why and how like why I feel that way and how it affects me it's just um for sure like that's been that's been huge for me too yeah that's awesome that's great to hear yeah. Um so this has been uh really great. Um I that those are all the questions that I have to to ask. Um but yeah, no, I wanted to thank you once again for coming on. Um everyone please check out Alex's page World is a House on Fire on Instagram. Um and yeah. Thanks again for coming. Thanks for having me, George. This yeah. was really enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, I had a I had a great time as well. Um, yep. And I'm gonna um, make sure that all my friends have links to your podcast. All my neuro spicy neuro queer friends. Oh, awesome! Awesome! Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, all right. I hope you enjoyed this episode, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening, and see you next time.